Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. Jay, how are you doing? I am doing fabulously, Britain. I have been on a new uh, health and fitness regimen. I have been strengthening my aura, and it's going very well for me. I love it for me. It's a lot of visualization. I feel very, um, very strong right now. That's not where I thought you were going to go with it. I was like, (laughs) you pumping iron or? No, that too. We did order some more dumbbells, which during COVID are absurdly expensive, but. um, They are, and they take forever to get because everybody's working out at home right now. Yeah. So we we're working on that, but no, right now it's it's mostly aura exercises. I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. just swathed in all the rainbows. Nice. Um, So what's, what's that look like? It's kind of, so I, I've been working, well, I haven't necessarily been working with her. I've been taking classes from the wonderful Erica Buenaflor. Uh, she's a curandera who does um, wonderful books on curanderismo. If you're looking for those, I highly recommend her work. But she was telling this story in one of her classes about how she had gone to one of her teachers and was like telling them like, oh, like, like look at all my like crystal jewelry. Like this one protects me from this and that one protects me from this and this one protects me from that. And her teacher kind of just looks at her like this old curandera lady just kind of looks at her and goes, you know, if you keep just putting on all these things to protect yourself, you're just telling the universe that you need to be protected from something. So they will provide things that you need to be protected from. And she's like, oh, shit. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, same. Interesting. So she's like, so instead of like, doing the whole like I carry 52 protection charms, she's like, it's more like, you know, but if you just kind of strengthen your aura, which is your, you know, your spirit's natural sort of immune system, then you don't have to do that as much. And then you don't have to be, you know, protected against every single thing that might be lurking and therefore sort of kind of creating your own problem. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of something. I can't remember who shared it on Instagram, but somebody was sharing um, like, don't over, don't over smoke your house or over cleanse your house. Or like, Mm. it's kind of like using hand sanitizer too often. You Mm -hmm. lower your immune system and Mm. things can get in. So it's like, don't overdo it. There's just like that fine balance that we all have to achieve. Yeah. And I don't know if I talked about this before, but it's something that I tend to kind of think back on a lot is I was once reading, I think it was one of Lillian Tu's books who I, I really love. Um, she writes a lot of books on feng shui and she was mm-hmm. talking about um, you don't want to have perfect feng shui. You want to have less than perfect feng shui because once you've reached perfection, then the only thing that can happen is it can only get worse from there. Oh, and she's like, instead of having things that could still become better and more things that could come in and like good things, she's like, so it's best to have imperfect feng shui. Otherwise it's just downhill from there. And I'm like, I love that. And I will now apply that to all kinds of things in my life. Right? (laughs) Yeah. I like that a lot. That's cool. So today we have an interesting episode. Uh, We are going to be covering misconceptions 
about the craft. And I think this is one that is important because we're going to be covering both misconceptions that we run into with people from outside of the witchcraft community, things that we can probably all relate to that we ran into, as well as some ones that we still find kind of permeating through the witchcraft community themselves. Mm-hmm. Things that you hear about a lot that you're like, mm, that's not exactly how that works. We've just have misunderstood that a little bit. And so we're going to kind of be going over them, seeing which ones we find most exciting. So yes. is there one that you want to start with? Okay, this happened to me recently. and happens to me very often. I think it happens to all witches very often, or some witches very often. Um, I have a sweetie. Mm-hmm. And we've been hanging out, you know, just having a good time, going fishing and all that stuff. If we know and what you mean. If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, there have been fish. I've seen her Instagram. Seriously, <laughs> lots of fish. Caught a huge mess of trout last weekend. So he told his grandma about me. I was like, oh, nice. And she does Reiki and a few other things. And oh, and reads cards. So oh. she's she's witchy. I don't know if she would consider herself a witch or not, but she you does witchy stuff. Grandma. Yeah, woo-woo grandma. So um, he was describing to her the things that I do and, and the kind of work that I do. And she was like, oh, yeah, so she's a Wiccan. I was <laughs> like, hold the brakes. <laughs> hold the brakes, <laughs> rather. <laughs> <laughs> I am, because then he was like, oh, you're a Wiccan, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Uh, Not that that there's uh, anything wrong with being Wiccan. There is not, of course. Um, But not all witches are Wiccan. How dare. (laughs) How dare she. How dare you say that not all witches are Wiccans. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. That is something, you're right, that is something that we get a lot. Very much. I think it's the most frequent misconception. Mm Mm-hmm. Next to devil worship that I hear is that if you're a witch, oh, you must be a Wiccan. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that is that is uh, not true. Definitely not. And it, it is one that I'm pretty sure all of us have gotten at one point or another. And uh, I, I understand in a lot of ways just because Wicca was pretty much like the big breakout thing that kind of brought us back to where we are now. And especially among the older generation, they remember when everything was so Wicca-centric. So she probably, you know, given the fact that, you know, she reads cards and, and does this stuff, I'm I'm betting she was probably at least adjacent to that whole movement that was happening in, like, the 60s and the 70s, and then, you know, again, kind of in the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. So that that would make sense. But, yeah, it's a lot of people think that we're, we're Wiccan. And I have a hard time, too, trying to explain to people like why that's wrong because people for some reason just can't wrap their brain around it. So I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, so like, think of it like this way. Like not all Christians are Pentecostal. That is just one slice of it. There are also, you know, the Methodists and the, you know, whatever Jehovah's witnesses and, you know, the Mormons and um, all that stuff. And I'm like, so we're not all the same, even if our practices look the same. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I tend to go about it but i still have people who are like i don't get it and that and that's the thing that always kind of surprises me i'm like i just i don't know i have a hard time getting that through to people a lot of the time Mm -hmm. yeah because like yeah when you just when i describe what i do i'm like a dirt worshiping heathen Mm -hmm. you know earth-centric 
practitioner, but it doesn't mean that I follow the the structure of Wicca. Yeah, the religion yeah, that, itself. Right. And that can be hard for some folks to understand. Well, and I think too, like, and this launches us into, there are so many mis- misconceptions in witchcraft that are specifically Wicca centered. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of times, and I think probably for this, the misinformation factor, a lot of people these days are very kind of, um, are kind of ornery about Wicca and kind of look down on Wicca a lot, but Wicca is actually super cool. And I think that we owe a lot to Wicca as far as we would not have anywhere near the amount of acceptance that we have these days without Wicca going through and being like the best PR team we could have ever asked for in changing the stigma around, you know, what it means to be a witch and really, really cleaning up our image and making, you know, this work palatable. We would not have witchcraft in general being mainstream the way it is right now without Wicca. Wicca is really the one who did all the work to bring us where we are now. So I definitely want to, you know, throw that out there and and give them the credit where it's due. But unfortunately, too, whenever you have something like that, that really brings a lot of people in, it also brings in, it creates this giant pool of new people Mm -hmm. who then don't necessarily completely understand and then run with it. And that's something that we're seeing now too, is we have this huge influx of new people. They learn for about two weeks and then they start teaching. And I think that might've been sort of what happened with Wicca as well, because we have mm-hmm. all of this misinformation, right? And so like one of the, the, the number ones, the number one misconception that we hear about Wicca is that it is an ancient pre-Christian religion. <laughs> right. And that this, yeah, ancient pre-Christian religion has like carried on through the ages. Um, all you have to do is get the book by Doreen Valiente called The Rebirth of Witchcraft. And she outlines the resurgence of witchcraft in the like 30s, 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yes, Wicca was a religion created by Gerald Gardner. Mm-hmm. And it is not ancient. However, like you were saying, it did play a pivotal role, like a major role in the resurgence of witchcraft in like the last hundred years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's so funny too, because people, the the Wicca that we know now is so different than the way that Wicca was originally presented. Like Wicca is a, is something that you get initiated into and then you learn the secrets and then there's a whole process to it. And and what we see as Wicca now is kind of like, you know, these little books with glitter on the cover that are sold in like Fuego at the mall or whatever, like, you, you know, is, and, and that's so far from kind of the actual tradition that was brought out in the mid 1900s. Mm hmm which is hilarious to talk about anything 19 as being the 1900s. I'm now telling people I was born at the turn of the century. Um, and I really oh, God, like yeah. that for me. Um, you know, I think I'm going to start doing that too. 1985 right yeah, here. Like I was born yeah. at the late 1900s. Um, <laughs> so when people talk about like, oh, like ancient Wiccan symbols, I'm like, at best, maybe a vintage Wiccan symbol. Yeah, vintage. That's that's where we're going with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know, vintage. Vintage is good. So that's one of the things that, that we run into. And that's something that I think too also kind of lends itself to people not liking Wicca so much is that uh, an, a large amount of folks don't realize that it's not an ancient religion 
Because like I've even come across books that, that say that it is, and that's uh, I don't know how they were allowed to get published, but um, it's wow. But if you ever try to confront somebody online about that, especially like a young person, like actually Wicca was created like seventy years ago, uh, mm-hmm. the the enormous backlash is um, both terrifying and comical that happens when, when you try to break this news to people. But that's something that I think we should talk about more is, is the idea that Wicca is fairly recent, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's without merit, you know, just because it's new doesn't mean that it has nothing to offer us. Yeah. And I think there was a bit, I'm going to kind of go back to something you were saying earlier that, you know, folks who look down on Wicca, I think that kind of started happening in the early 2000s with the emergence of traditional witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And like a truer, people were looking for something, um, I'm using air quotes here, y'all, y'all can't see, see me, truer form of witchcraft, mm-hmm. a truer form, a more pure form of the craft. But you bring up an excellent point with this idea of kind of traditional witchcraft and how we often talk about, you know, Wicca being fairly new. And then we go over to traditional witchcraft where there's this sort of myth that there has been a long unbroken chain of tradition from ancient witches to now that we're using when in fact, that's not actually what's happening at all. There, there is no unbroken chain. There's this sort of idea that ancient witches sort of put all of their old knowledge into a little box that recently got discovered by, you know, traditional witches. But truth is, is that a lot of that is still its own form of reconstructionism of of what we Mm. think might have been happening back then, um, based off of, you know, and, you know, that doesn't say that it's all baseless. You know, we have old records um, from the witch trials. We also have, um, you know, old grimoires, things like that. So it does make sense that we could reconstruct a great deal of this work, but to say that what we know today as traditional witchcraft is exactly what the witches in like, you know, ye old days in Britain were doing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just not true. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I find, I find it, traditional witchcraft a little faulty because it really does tend to put the practitioner in, okay, let's say you're a North American practitioner. This is the perspective that I'm coming from. It kind of puts you back into like the British Isles and into British Mm. traditional witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And then people try to like copy and paste that onto North America. And it like doesn't connect you to the land necessarily. It has you practicing these rites that belong kind of somewhere else where it's like, we need to be creating, I feel a something that's rooted in the land that is like right beneath our feet. And I think there are aspects of traditional witchcraft that help do that. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And something that's interesting, too, that I've heard multiple people talk about is their interactions with spirits and certain deities and things like that will be very different based on where they are geographically in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So people who like live in the United States and they do work with, you know, quote unquote, the old one, um, you know, or the, the horned one or old scratch, whatever you want to call them. Um, and then they go to the UK and do this work. They're like, the spirit that I've met is very different in both locations. Like, it's almost like there are multiple versions of them that come forth. So mm-hmm. it's not always as easy as saying, oh, this is what they did in this part of the world. Therefore, it's the same over here. You might run into something completely different because of your geographical location and the land that you're on and 
how that land remembers and processes energy and information and memory. I think it would be interesting to see the differences there. And I think that also it lends credence to what you were saying about not just taking a UK thing and sticking into the United States. It just doesn't necessarily work that seamlessly. That makes complete sense. Yeah, I agree. Oh, so what are some other misconceptions? Oh, that was something I wanted to kind of go back on because like we could probably spend this whole episode speaking about misconceptions of the craft with <laughs> this like Wiccan lens <laughs> is the other things that happen with the misconceptions with Wicca and whatnot and like all witches being Wiccan is that the rules of Wicca, the dogma, if you will, I guess, mm. um, often get applied to non-Wiccan witches as well, like the threefold law. Yep. Not all of us practice or believe in the three, the rule of three or the threefold mm. law. Like I don't. Mm. Do you? I don't. Um, I, I do think that there is a large difference between um, justified work and unjustified work as far as how effective it is and also um, what you are at risk for. I, I think definitely changes with the justification. Um but I also think too, and I can't remember where I heard this, so this might be wrong, but there was something I was reading where the threefold law itself is a misconception that people um, like read it wrong originally, that they were saying that if someone harms you, then you should go after them threefold was kind of the original intent was like, you know, then then you should kind of bring the hammer down ideas is more kind of a self-defense space. I'm not sure. I'm not a Wiccan historian. We'll have to get somebody on who, who knows way more about that. But I, I, I have heard that the rule of three itself is, is a mistake in, in reading. Um, but also I highly adore the rule of three. And that's why I often tell people who are new to witchcraft to start with Wicca, just because it teaches ethics. It teaches not to just to be here, to be a bully. Like, you know, like, you know, if you want to cast your spell to fix your car or, or get a, enough money to make rent or whatever, you know, do it. Absolutely. But like, just don't be a dick. And I, I like that Wicca has morals and ethics built into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of gives a, a very well established uh, structure for a new practitioner to enter into. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah for sure. I mean, many of us who first came to the craft, like the first books that we got were on Wicca. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was for me for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of before the, uh, explosion of traditional witchcraft happened, I was mm -hmm. in the Wicca era. Yeah. Oh, all my first books were Wicca. I know. <laughs> Having baby witch good old, nostalgia. Good old Scott Cunningham. Silver Raven Wolf. Silver Raven Wolf. Yeah. Oh. I saw her in a bookstore recently to write a silver broomstick and I was oh, like, really? Aw. Mm. Yeah. Love that. Nostalgia. Yeah. We're old as hell now. It's fine. Yeah. We're we're just ancient over here. <laughs> okay. So what else? What are some other misconceptions about the craft? One that I can't get away from, and it's something weird that happens in people's brains, and therefore I don't know how to approach it. It's when people ask me what I do, I, I try to kind of, I tell them and then I, I quickly, very quickly explain because I don't want them to get the wrong idea. And, be, and I do this because 
it's very common for me to go like, oh, well, you know, I, I do witchcraft for a living. And then people go, so you're just here hexing people all day long. That's just what you do for work. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I do. And and so I I tend to quickly say like, well, you know, I, I'm a professional witch, which means that I spend my days doing things like helping people find love or get jobs or or breaking hexes that are on people. And people, mm-hmm. all they hear is hexes and they go, you hex people? <laughs> And I go, no, 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 I work on breaking hexes. And then they turn to their friend, they go, this guy just says that he hexes people for a living. And I don't know why people's brains only pick up that one word. Have you ran into this? Not really. I'm trying to think if I have run into that. Because the thing is, is I live in a really like rural conservative community. So yeah. I don't even tell people that I do witchcraft for a living. Um, I will tell a select few, like if I notice, I'm like, oh yeah, you look like a hippie. I'll be like, yeah, I do witchcraft. Um, but for the most part, I just tell people that I'm an herbalist mm. and I leave it at that. that. Cause I don't want to explain myself or do the, the heavy lifting of being like, okay, here's what I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I've, I, luckily I've been able to sort of skirt and start saying now that I'm an author when people ask, but then that inevitably goes to, Oh, what do you write about? And you're like, Oh shit. Then uh, <laughs> I just pretend like I'm an anthropologist. I'm like this witchcraft stuff that people are doing, you know, I don't know. I'm just, you know, just <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It. So Jay, you hex people. That's what you do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's all I do for a living. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's been, it's been a, a battle with that one. And I don't know why people keep coming back to that. But but people just think that that's what we do all day. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I have encountered that a few times where, well, where I just got kind of like a bad reaction. And my, my feeling was like, oh, they think I do dark witchcraft or like mm-hmm. they think I do like, yeah, cursing and hexing and everything or that mm-hmm. I'm like doing evil stuff. But, you know, you got to have you got to have both you got to have like the the cursing in one hand and the healing in the other. You do because they go together more often than people think. So the other thing, this kind of takes us into, I think our next misconception about witchcraft is that I tell people I'm an herbalist, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Now, not every herbalist is a witch and people often think that because you're a herbalist, Mm-hmm. Or because you read tarot, mm-hmm. or because you do astrology, that you're a witch. Yeah, what do you think about that? I can see it just spinning oh, your wheels over there. I think people aren't ready. People are not ready for what's about to come out of my mouth. If you, for those of you with weak constitutions, please turn off this podcast right now. Um, yeah, so herbalism, tarot, astrology, manifestation. Uh, burning sage, energy healing. Did I already say shadow work? Soap making. Soap making. None of these things are witchcraft. (gasps) Pause while everybody starts typing as hate emails. But here's the deal. None of it is witchcraft. You can apply magic to any of these things, but none of these alone makes you a witch. I I come across a lot of people who are like, oh, of course I'm a witch because I'm an herbalist. And I'm like, do you uh, do witchcraft? And they're like, 
well, I make tinctures and I'm like, that's not witchcraft. Like making yeah. soap, making candles, doing tarot or doing astrology, none of those things are witchcraft and therefore none of those things make you a witch. Those things can um, be accessories in witchcraft. Those things can go hand in hand with witchcraft, but they are not witchcraft themselves. It's like when people are like, well, like I, I whisper a prayer over my coffee in the morning. It's like, well, that's cool. But also that doesn't mean that coffee is witchcraft. Right. Is the spirit with you? No, the spirit, <laughs> the spirit is taking the form of a very large helicopter flying over my house. <laughs> oh, God. I just suddenly see Britain just look up at her ceiling, really confused. And I'm like, oh, God, she's about to be beamed up. <laughs> They're going to take her. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I saw this a lot. I went to herb school in uh, Portland, Oregon. And, you know, Portland is keep it weird. Um, um, which Portland's not very weird anymore, in my opinion. It's really not. It's really not that weird. Unless you think um, gentrification is weird. And then, yes, it's very, very weird. Ooh, we, we could go into it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I saw a lot of that in the herbalism community where they're like, yeah, I'm a witch. And I'm like, you know, and then I'm like, so, so, so what do you do? And they're like, yeah, I make, I make teas, I make tinctures, etc. And I'm like, you hexing anybody? Right? Do you, and are right, are we like, casting what? spells? Like, yeah, are we casting spells? And they're like, what? Oh no, I don't. I'm like, well, then you ain't, you ain't a witch. No, no, absolutely not. I just, yeah. And there's this thing that's been happening too, where like, I, I know some people who have recently gotten into like Reiki and like, you know, the secret where you're like manifesting through positive thinking. And they're like, ah, it's just time I come out of the broom closet. I'm a witch. I, I positive think things. And then they happen like manifestation. And I'm like, that's not the same thing as witchcraft. Like that's not. Now, we could get in. Oh, this this episode could get quite spicy. Ooh, yes, pretty let's do quickly it. because you know. Then we could. This is an epi- This is a topic for another episode. But then it kind of gets us into this. What makes a witch? Mm. You know, like what is it that makes one a witch? It is it like inner power? Is it this inner power? Because you know, often I have met folks who do do herbalism Mm. and they don't know and they wouldn't call themselves witches, but they don't know that they are a witch, but I'm like, you a witch. That's true. That's true. And then there is also, this is something also that's too spicy for this episode, but then we also get into territory of um, differences between people who were kind of born into it and may not know. And then people who choose to then practice and learn later. Um, I'm not saying that either one is better than the other. I'm simply saying that they are different. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that sort of manifests differently in, in, in people and how we perceive them and feel them. Because something I say a lot is witches can sense and feel other witches around them. And that feeling is very different between the two. So anyway, we're going to get ourselves canceled all aboard the cancel train. Yeah, we're going to get canceled. So (laughs) that's a topic for another episode. Another episode. That's too spicy for this episode. But yeah, so misconceptions that we're kind of working with here is just this idea that like astrology, tarot, uh, energy, healing, soap making, all this stuff is not inherently witchcraft. It's something that can go along with witchcraft, but these things don't necessarily make you 
a witch. It's like, you can really love going to gay clubs, but unless you're going to actually do gay things, like it doesn't make you gay, right? Like right. You, you can be near the situation, but, but just simply being near it doesn't mean that you're a part of it. Um, right. Which is what we're kind of getting at here. You gots to be doing it. Gotta be doing it. Gotta be doing it. Alrighty. So how about deity work? Is it's it mandatory? mandatory? <laughs> I was going to oh. say, I'm like, it's mandatory, isn't it? Can't be a witch. With, <laughs> you have to find your patron deity. And if you don't, then it means that you are not a witch. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're joking here. This Oops. is just a big joke. That's something that we see a lot these days is this idea of, of you have to find, you know, quote unquote, my deity. Everyone's like, I need to find my deity. And it's like, well, first of all, they don't belong to you. So stop. <laughs> Second of all, it's not something that you have to do for this work. There are atheist witches out there in this world. Spirit work is wonderful. And we all have to engage in spirit work in one way or another in order to do this. But deity work itself is not mandatory. And right. I think that's something that people don't realize. It's a great place to start off. Um, it, it can be because I find that deity, while they can really heck your life up and cause some mischief in your life, they do provide an interesting anchoring point, I think, for your witchcraft. Uh, I found that when early on when I worked with Hecate, you know, and she is a goddess of witchcraft. So she was a great teacher um, an illuminator for my practice, but eventually we parted ways. Yeah. And, um, now for the most part myself, uh, I do do a little bit of deity work, um, and energetic work. Like I work with planetary deities mm -hmm. quite frequently. Um, but it's not like the cornerstone. The cornerstone would be spirit work. Yeah. And spirit work, for those of you who are a little confused with what we're kind of how we're differentiating this spirit work can be all kinds of things. It can be ancestral spirits. It can be spirits of the land, um, spirits of place, spirits of certain plants. So the other day, somebody sent me a message that was like, Oh, you guys said that, you know, spirit work, you know, you can't be a witch if you don't do spirit work and I don't do spirit work. So does that mean that I'm not a witch? And I'm like, well, in short, if you use crystals, if you use rocks, if you use herbs, if you use any of these things, you are engaged in spirit work, whether you know it or not, because all of these things carry spirit in them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your that rue you put on your candle is a spirit. There is spirit of rue in it. And learning to work with that, as opposed to just the dried plant matter itself, is so important. So when we talk about spirit work, that's kind of, it's more broad than specifically deity work, if that helps at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I like what you're talking about, how it sort of creates an anchor point for your work. And I think that's important, too. But I think it doesn't always necessarily have to be deity. It can be, you know, like we we're talking, the, the spirit of place or land that you live on can mm -hmm. be sort of that central axis or that anchoring point for your work. Um, right. Or it can be like a, a sacred well that is nearby or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, you know, mountains... I mean, were, are considered gods of the landscape. I mean, look at them. They're these behemoth structures on the, in the landscape. How could they not be gods and whatnot? Oh my gosh. We were on the beach not that long ago, probably about a month ago. And we come across like this 
big cliffside like outcropping of like rock and it's just like enormous and it had this huge energy about it like i i've seen really big mountains and really big closest like that and this wasn't the biggest one i had ever seen by any stretch but it was it was very ominous there it was just not only its size but it's it's sheer energetic presence and i remember just looking at this thing and going no wonder people have believed for so long that these are living things, that these are gods that are here because they do. Like if you can feel it, if you're tuned into that, they are very much alive and they're huge and they're awe inspiring. And so I think that's important. Yeah. My first love affair with a structure in the landscape was, um, well, I lived in Portland for about 10 years. And Mm -hmm. of course, who do you see in the horizon uh, when you look east from Portland is Mount Hood. Mm-hmm. Um, Mount Hood became very much godlike to me. And they were revered. Um, the indigenous folks did revere them and do revere them as gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever I would get close to that mountain, it was very ominous. Like you were saying with the cliffside that you had an experience with. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, just chills through my body. And it was it was very like almost unapproachable. It was like very careful. People go missing um, and disappear and die frequently on these mountains. Mm-hmm. And they're living, breathing mountains. Like the measurement of Mount Hood is constantly fluctuating because the mountain is breathing. <sighs> it is volcanic. So it's expanding and contracting over time. And so the measurement of the mountain's height uh, differs um, here and there. I had no idea. That's interesting. Yeah. And to think that also like our Cascadian mountains are all volcanic mountains. I think they're called strato. Strato. Oh my gosh. Somebody correct me, please. (laughs) It's been a really long time since fifth grade. I don't remember the volcanoes anymore. (laughs) Um, maybe strato volcanoes. Sorry, y'all. If this is grinding anyone's gears out there, um, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram to correct me. Um, but yeah, there are these living, breathing, uh, volcano mountains. And when I live out here where I live in Eastern Oregon, we have mountains here, but they are, they don't carry the same energetic presence. They are are right. It is a strato volcano. Thank you. I'm not wrong. (laughs) I had to look it up. You're completely correct. Thanks. Uh, So the mountains out here in Eastern Oregon just carry a different energy. They feel more like a collective, Mm -hmm. whereas the mountains uh, in the Cascade Range feel more um, individual. That makes sense, too. And we have kind of like the major ones that are in like all the the, the cardinal directions for us that mm-hmm. kind of like surround us in this area. Um, and what's interesting, too, so like you're talking about Mount Hood in particular, having this really intense energy and these these sort of, I don't know, would you would you call a mountain a, a geological formation or a topographical? I don't know. Someone's writing us hate mail. It's fine. Um, but these these structures, these big mountains um, 
often kind of come with some weird kind of woo-woo stuff that happens around them. So like you have Mount Shasta with just like all their like UFO shit happening. And then Mount Hood is just like Sasquatch territory. Like if you're going to go squatching, you go around the base of Mount Hood. Like that's just, that's just something you know around here is that that's where that's at. Have you heard of Lemurians? I have. And they live around Mount Shasta. Yes, I want to know. I also don't want to know. Um, I was listening to an episode of Ghosts and Hoes, which are ran by two friends of mine. It's another podcast. And there was something about a creature inside Mount Shasta that had cone eyes. And I was like, you know what? Just those two words should never go together. Cone eyes. And I'm like, nope, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. Yeah, I've heard um, a friend of mine goes Lemurian hunting um, and I was like, I have never heard of this. I don't know what they are. They're like humanoid, like creature, human things um, yeah. that live around Mount Shasta. But Mount Shasta, so folks, for folks who don't know, Jay and I are currently speaking of the Cascade Mountain Range here in the Pacific Northwest um, that extends into Northern California and on up into um, British Columbia. Mm. And or like Northern Washington and whatnot. That's what we're speaking to here. And so these are strato volcanoes and, or strato mountains, strato volcano mountains. Is this a strato volcano is what Mount Hood is. Okay. That's what they are. (laughs) But Mount Shasta is known to be this kind of like super crazy vortex. Um, Folks really venerate this mountain, but it also attracts a lot of hippies and whatnot around Shasta city, the towns uh, adjacent to the mountain. And it gets a little, it gets a little like bad hippie vibe. Um, yeah. It gets kind of like not good hippie stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, so yes. it goes as it goes as, as that definitely does happen. And also too, when we're talking about this and we'll get back to the actual topic here in just a second. Right. But, um, so Rainier, which is North of where um, Portland is, is also the area that is most famous for its own cryptid that is bat squatch. I don't know if you've heard of bat squatch before, but imagine Sasquatch but a bat. with chicken legs and bat wings. You would get bat squatch. And it's like the best thing I've ever heard of. So if you are near Mount Rainier, and you happen to see a bat squatch, or if you have a bat squatch story, our email is hello at invokingwitchcraft.com. Please send us your bat squatch story. I would love to receive a bat squatch story. Yeah. Yeah. My thing too is like when people go to Mount Shasta or like Mount Hood looking for Lemurians or Bigfoot, it's like a dog chasing a car. I'm like, what are you going to do with it if you actually find it? Like, what happens if you find a Lemurian? They're just going to like take you into their spaceship or somewhere in the mountain and then you just don't get to leave. And I'm like, that just. You know, I got other things to do besides right? be yeah, kidnapped definitely. by aliens. Right. Don't want to get trapped in a mountain. No. Not at all. No, all right. Not. So getting back on track here with misconceptions about the craft. Mm. What else do we have here? Do we want to talk about oh, ooh, another spicy one here? That no one's ready for. Drop that it no on one's him. ready for. All righty. Your pet is not your familiar. <gasps> She said it. Your cat is not your familiar. And I know your cat is special. And I know that your cat is different than all the rest, but it's not your familiar. 
and we need to talk about this because though familiars often take the form of things like toads and rabbits and cats and dogs and things like that. What people don't realize is that those are are temporary forms and Mm -hmm. only embodied for short periods of time for interaction, but you're familiar. And the term familiar is short for familiar spirit. These are spirits that you get to know on the other side that might manifest in the world for short periods of time as animals. But your familiar spirit itself is a spirit. It's not a pet. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I I, sometimes I want to make special considerations for my dog. (laughs) (laughs) I have... I have a long story of how I found my dog, which I don't think I'll get into here today. Maybe in another episode when we do something really specific on familiars. But like Jay said, it's a temporary form when they're taking like physical shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, your familiar is like a spirit familiar that you work with mm-hmm. um, and that they work with you. And then mm-hmm. very often are attached to your body your Mm -hmm. spirit body. It's a very intimate relationship. Um, But yeah, just because your cat jumps on your altar while you're casting a spell doesn't mean that your cat like knows what's up. Maybe your cat does know what's up, but maybe your cat's also hungry. Maybe your cat's curious. Maybe your cat just wants to knock over your water bowl to your ancestors. That's what they do. Yes. Mine will just not stop drinking out of the water glass I have on my ancestor altar. And I'm like, you're going to get your little furry ass hexed, but that's not my problem. So (laughs) yeah, no. And, you know, people talk a lot. They're like, oh, well, you know, my cat, every time, you know, I, I cast a circle, you know, my cat comes and sits in the center of it. But there was like this big thing that was happening on the internet for a while about cat circles, where if you put a circle made out of anything on the ground, whether it's like a piece of electrical cord or chalk or whatever, your cat will come and sit inside of it kind of for the same reason why they like to go inside boxes because it just kind of like makes them feel like safe and like there's a little boundary around them and stuff like that. It's, it's a very cozy space for them. So that's a very normal cat behavior thing. Anytime to see like a circle or a formation to go and sit in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely something to think on. We're sorry if we upset anyone out there, but your pet is probably not your familiar. I know that they're really, really cool. My favorite too is when people are telling me about like how special that their cat is and how their their cat is just like a spirit entity from another world. And you look over in the corner and the cat's just like cross-eyed with its head with his tongue hanging out, like (laughs) I'm special. And you're like, wow, really? This is this is the one? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, wow. Yep, yeah. over there just <laughs> splitting the atom. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's what's happening over there. I'm like, wow, yeah, so special. Much, much special. Ugh, oh, my God. Now, one that I really, really love, as far as misconceptions are concerned, is I have come to realize that there is a great deal of people that think that we think that we are like Harry Potter characters. Right. Um, a lot of a lot of people assume that we just have magic wands and say weird words and just pretend like things happen and that we're just that's what we think we're doing. That's um, for neoliberals. That's right. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's true. But it's just like I am like, no, we're we're mostly, mostly sane. But I do realize where this sort of idea gains a little bit of traction because there was something that was happening for a while, specifically around Tumblr. And then sort of TikTok happened, which 
their wave of fuckery kind of just wiped this one out. Um, but there was this this big thing that happened for about a year where people decided that the TV show Supernatural was 100% legit and good information. And so people right. were getting their their information and their spells and their ideas of how all of this worked from the TV show Supernatural. And first of all, don't do that. Right. Um, it's TV. Yeah. So I can kind of see why, why people would think that we think what we do, given the fact that this has been going on, but it's it's not, at least for right. a lot of us. Right. Yeah. And I I really dislike the jokes that come along with that with people assuming that, yeah, you have a wand. I mean, some of us do have wands. Yeah. But yeah, you go around waving your wand and you're like, hocus pocus, boopity boo. Yeah, <laughs> and we think we're just like daughter. making shit appear. And, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, although I will say like some of the stuff from Harry Potter, I do use to explain my own practice, like my mm-hmm. fetch. Mm-hmm. Um, so a fetch is like sort of like your spirit familiar, I like to view it as um, when I try to describe it to people or I'm teaching folks that it's like a Patronus. Um, It's like tethered to you and is like this physical form. Like we each have our own unique Patronus. So that doesn't really help my case with being compared to Harry Potter characters. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And well, I mean, and it's, it's not to say too that sometimes, you know, television movies or whatever either doesn't get it right or sometimes... I have gotten some of my best ideas from some shit that I've seen either in like a witchy TV show or a movie or something like that, where I'm like, you know what, that would probably actually work. Like, you know, if you, if you tweak it a little bit or whatever, but like the way that they approached it is an interesting idea or kind of like, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's not to say that Hollywood is always completely off the mark, but to utilize something like supernatural, or I guess in our generation, it was charmed. Um, everyone was using Charmed as kind of like a, a guide for witchcraft in kind of the late 90s, early 2000s, um, which we've luckily since come away from. But it's that's not what we think we're doing, at least at least a lot of us. And mm-hmm. clearly there are some people who do think that that's what they are doing and that's what Tumblr is for. But the most of us who are practicing this seriously, not so much. Right, right. Yeah. So... We are not Harry Potter. No. Nope, we are not. So, another misconception about the craft. Another spicy take. Hold on to your britches. Another misconception is that only women can be witches. Oh, God. And you know what? Straight up, that is like some transphobic, queerphobic stuff. It needs to be unpacked directly into that and we've both luckily and unluckily there has been a book recently that's been published that's really getting a lot of people's attention as far as being very centered around this idea that only women can practice witchcraft and that as harmful as it is that that book has has been published and put out into the world i think it's giving us a great opportunity to unpack a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. and I, I feel like though we do talk about the masculine and the feminine a lot in this work, I, I've always felt that witchcraft is very inherently trans. Yes, it's queer, inherently. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. why I got really confused when this whole like queer witchcraft thing started happening. And to be honest, I 
I need to. I, I need to pick up like a book on queer witchcraft just because I have not read any of the queer literature because I've never thought of witchcraft as being hetero. And and I understand that again, you know, we have these sort of archetypes of like masculine and feminine, but all of witchcraft seems to be bent on combining and crossing those two things. Right. Um, in order to get kind of this liminal space, this crossroads in which you are both masculine and feminine, and yet at the same time, neither, which is inherently trans, which is inherently non-binary, which is inherently all these things that we're supposed to take this sort of masculine and this feminine archetype and then smash them together and make something completely different. Um, that mm-hmm. is both of those things, but also neither one of those things. And that's why I think it's so important. Right. Yes, being a witch is not just for cishet women. It, it it isn't, and that like no, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, one thing I I want to give a shout out to. I actually don't own any of, of their pamphlets or their books, but there is this incredible little uh, uh, publisher called Contagion Press, mm-hmm. and they do esoteric, queer, and anarchic witchcraft. Ooh. Yes. They have some incredible titles and highly recommend them. Contagion Press. Yes. So they have like uh, one of their titles is Witchcraft and the Gay Counterculture by Arthur Evans. Um, And what else? They have the Queer Goetia. Ooh. Yes. Gay demons. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's really a fantastic little press. So if you're looking, I, and it's hard to find like queer witchcraft books already. Mm-hmm. I think that it's something that is starting to like come into, um, I don't want to, I don't want to say resurgence or popularity, but it's something that's starting to happen um, mm-hmm. and need, needs to happen. So if you're looking for some good queer witchcraft books, Contagion Press, uh, it will be in the show notes. Love it. Love it. And this idea too, and and I see this kind of spread throughout too, is people like to talk about things like, oh, the the witch trials too were only about women. They were about controlling women and dominating women and making sure that women were in their place and taking away their power. And I'm like, men were also highly targeted and burned and hung for crimes of witchcraft. Like men Mm -hmm. were were also targeted. Now I understand that of course, women back in the day did not have the same protections that were afforded to men. um, And that's something that we do need to acknowledge. But this idea that witchcraft has always inherently been about female empowerment, about connecting with femininity, about, you know, liberating women is, is a very narrow perspective of it. And then we get into this idea that only witches can be women or only women can be witches because of their wombs. And that's something that this book kind of started talking about is like, Oh, all magic comes from the womb. And I'm like, okay, first Mm. of all, not only is that like gets very turfy, very quickly, we get into trans exclusion very quickly in that, but then also there are many exclusion of intersex people, right? Yes. Intersex people, any sort of like gender nonconforming. And then we also have like, even just like women who have had hysterectomies, like, I mean, like, it's, it's such a a weird thing that people really latch onto this idea of your genitalia is your magic or, you know, and it can be and is a part of our magic, but it doesn't have to look a specific way. And that's not the only source of magic. Right. Yeah. Getting hot in here. (laughs) 
and uh, get eaten. Gotta fight somebody. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So definitely go te- check out Contagion Press. I'm just going to keep plugging them because I think they're wonderful and I love the work they're doing around queer witchcraft and whatnot. Yes. That is fabulous. And if there's any takeaway from today, just remember that witchcraft is inherently very, very queer, and especially very trans. Mm-hmm. And uh, to sit with that and unpack that is, I think, going to be important for understanding this work. Yes. Amen. Alrighty, we have a few more minutes left on the podcast today. So we're just going to tackle one last misconception. Mm-hmm. Are blowing out your candles like... Is that bad or is the devil going to come and get you? The devil will get you. That oh, that's God. that's the one that you really need to be worried about is blowing out your candles. Damn it. <laughs> no, we're absolutely joking here, but let me tell you, if you want to have someone what, what what always gets me is in these witchcraft groups, people will be like, there are no rules in witchcraft. And then they'll see someone blow out their candles and freak out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, which one is it? Which one? Because you can't have both. Right. And then I I blow out my candles. Do you blow out your candles? I do not. I lick my fingers and pinch them out. Mm. Oh, I but do. It I depends. Do. It depends on the type of candle. Like lately I've been burning non-magical candles. I've just been burning like beeswax candles and I bought a really nicely I don't buy scented candles at all, but I bought one recently because I was feeling a type of way. And I really needed one. <laughs> so it's um, Sea Minerals. I picked it up at a Fred Meyer in Eugene. So if you're looking for a nicely fragranced candle, you can check out Fred Meyer and uh, pick up the Sea Minerals candle. <laughs> but it smells wonderful. And I blow those out. See, every time that you say your Sea Minerals candle, I always think that you're going to say that it's a semen candle. And I was about to be really excited. I'm like, is that like a Gwyneth Paltrow thing? Like, because she has her vagina candle out that apparently tried to murder a bunch of people. Um, that's a whole, that's a whole nother topic. Um, what? Yeah. I want to know now. Oh my there, God. Uh, there was something where she, she was testing candles for goop, which is like the worst thing that's happened in a long time. Um, and they were smelling them and it was some sort of like, bergamot or something like that and she was like oh this one smells like a vagina so then they named it the vagina candle and sold it and there were like a few instances i guess where people bought them and then had them like explode in their house whoa Uh, so exploding vagina candles um be very careful with those because apparently the vagina power is too strong right Um, just blasting you right out of there but with the blowing out the candles, like I, I, I do prefer to snuff them. I do have a candle snuffer. I'm sitting right next to one here, so I, I like to use the the snuffing whenever I can, and and I do like the the, the pinching it because I think that's just kind of like big witch energy, where it's like just stick your finger in the fire and do it. Um, very into that. But if if I'm in a place where I'm just like you know, need to blow it out for some reason. It doesn't freak me out. I don't think anything bad is going to happen. And in my personal opinion, if your spellcraft is so weak that you blowing out your candle will completely obliterate it, then you have different issues going on besides just blowing out a candle. Right. Yeah. It's all on personal preference. Like you can pinch your candles out, blow them out, do whatever you want, but the devil ain't going to come and get you. Right, that we have bigger fish to fry than blowing right. out candles or not. Like, there are more important things to worry about. Yes, I agree. 
Alrighty, everyone, this wraps up our episode on misconceptions about the craft. There's plenty more that we could cover, but these are some of the big ones that Jay and I thought of. Yes. So thank you guys for hanging out with us. Um, and I hope you might have cleared up some of your own misconceptions today that you may have had. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, everyone, remember. Do witchcraft. Do it. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.